0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Before we hear God's Word read, I just want to introduce Michael Davis. He really does not need an introduction to this body. Uh, he did an internship here for a while and then went on staff at uh, Second Pres, where he's been. He was ordained there, so he is now the right reverend michael davis and um uh you you can probably will tell the difference in him um no but seriously we celebrate you and uh your bride serena it's so good to have you here and uh with us this morning i can't wait to sit under the word uh it's i can't tell what a blessing it is i really miss it um i hadn't been able to do it as much uh with with chris's departure um last fall so i really look forward to sitting under the word so kelsey come and read the word to us now
1: Today's reading comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, through chapter 4, verse 6. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Thus says the word of the Lord.
0: Well, good evening, good morning, downtown church. If you know God is good, just say amen. If you know he is a healer, a protector, one that assures of his, of his tender love and care, just say Amen you have a personal relationship with God and you know that he will never leave you nor forsake you say amen, amen. well it is good to be worshiping with you and uh, as Richard said previously it is good to be back with you all And I, my wife and I had an extended period of time here we moved from St. Louis to Memphis and this was our first home so to speak and so it is good to be back in the house of God with you as a body of believers uh, as we dive into The text this morning I just want to ask y'all a couple questions And see if y'all believe me That is If I were to tell you That I knew Beyonce Would you believe me? Huh? If I were to tell you That I knew LeBron James Would you believe me? Huh? Uh, What if our relationship to the individual But what does the world know about love? And I think that's what our text is saying. Because if the world does not know God, they do not know love. And if God is love, then we know God because we have a direct relationship. And we know love because we have a direct relationship with God. So in our passage, what John teaches his readers this morning is that knowing God, knowing His love, Helps us to refrain from what he's been talking about previously, and we heard Richard preaching about it pre- uh, the past two weeks is that it's causing us to refrain from practicing sin, and it's also allowing us to not rebel against God, but adhere to his doctrinal truths, adhere to his instruction, and be passionately devoted to his church. Amen. So I want to a- I want to answer one question this morning in four different ways. That's the way I always get my points away. Answering one question, we're giving you four different points. The question is, how do we know God's love? How do you know God's love? How do you know God's love? I would say that what our passage suggests is that it's four noses, as those good that I was talking about, in which some of them are in a present perfect tense, which says us that it was a past action that happened in which we know that is actually happening now. We know what Jesus did on the cross. When we hear the phrase, the finished work of Jesus Christ, we understand what he did and how the effects happen for us today. And so those four noses that first of all, our text highlights that we know, we must know God's love by, uh, we know God, we must know God's love in verses, uh, 11 through 15 by knowing his message. We must know God's sacrifice in verses 16 through 18. We must know God's truth in verses 19 through 24. And lastly, we must know God's spirit, which is in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, I know Richard has preached for an hour and 50 minutes, and Michael Rose, this pre- week, has preached two hours. So I think I'll try to go somewhere in between now, okay? 30 minutes or so. But before we go to God's word, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. And it's not that we love you because we conjure it up ourselves. It's because we know that you first loved us. And for Lord Jesus, I pray that we have a sense in which we, from this text, we understand your love and we understand what it means to love one another. But Lord, more so than anything, God, we ask that you be exalted. We ask that you meet us here. We've already prayed that your presence be in this place. And we can sense it by the sincere corporate worship that we've had with one another. And I pray that it doesn't stop. But as we go through your text, that we continue to worship you. And Father, I pray that I hide beneath your cross and allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first point, we must know God's message in verses uh, 11 through 15. When we look at verse 11, we see that John is simply given a reminder. And the reminder is you have heard this message. You can go back to 1 John 1 and 5 where he says that this is the message you have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And also in 1 John 2 and 24 we see that he says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. So even John in his gospel, he he goes on to say, I'm commanded, Jesus has commanded you to love one another. Look what he says in chapter 13, 34 through 35. He says, a new commandment I have given to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is a great reminder. And just... To know that scripture interpreting scripture is the best way to understand scripture. And what we see what God is saying in his text is that if I have established the fact that I love you and if the message is that I love you, brothers and sisters, it has not changed. And it will not change. It is an eternal love and he's establishing that from the ground and we see he establishes that through the illustration through cain and abel cain is a prototype of evil and abel is a prototype of righteousness and what does he give the contrast for he gives this contrast to show that what righteousness is is of christ and what Uh, Evil is it is of the world and we are not of the world we heard that before in the Gospels in John 17 and so not being of this world what we recognize is what he is saying to his readers is this that the world is the realm in which the devil influences. Thus, if you are not from this world, don't worry about being outsiders, because he says in Luke, what, 21 and 17, or 21 and 11 or so, where he says that the world will hate you. That this is not new news, and if it does hate you, and what we see from this illustration, if it rebels against God, then it will rebel against you, and it will not adhere to anything you're saying. So what he's encouraging them to see is that the, though that the hatred from the world may be hurtful, though that the hatred from the world may be damaging look at what he says in verse 14 we know that we have passed out of death into life but we love the brothers I mean because we love the brothers the fact that we have passed out of of death into life is the fact that we have assurance in our salvation That even though the world may damage us, even though the world may hurt us, even when we may feel as if the world may be trying to divide the body of Christ or kill us, we have eternal life. That means no one can take our life away from us. We have been buried, Romans 6, with Christ and risen again in His, in Christ having salvation which is promised to be eternal. So yes, brothers and sisters, even though lovelessness may equate to hatred, even though hatred may equate to murder, what is what Christians ought to exemplify is love. Because if we do not, we will kill our own body. If we begin to hurt each other, if we don't seek to be reconciled with each other or we take our relationships to be flippant or we are nonchalant and just do away with one another because we've experienced some kind of hurt or we experience some kind of pain, I ask the question, what did Jesus experience on the cross? is the argument that the gospel uh, the, that the gospel writer is making is that though that you may experience this hatred from the world what you have experienced that is greater than this is the love of God which is so impactful for us that it allows us not to hold on to the resentment that's hurt us but to live in healing to live courageously, not to live in an unforgiving state, but to live forgiving those that have trespassed us. That's why when we read the Lord's Prayer, we don't read it as mere words, but when we read it, we understand that the power of forgiving someone is the liberty that we ought to have to love each other. Our love is not necessarily considered to be limitless, but we should not be limited. And how we love each other. There should not be any copyrights on our own love. We do not own love. Nor does it come from anything that we can conjure up. Our relationships, though that they may be problematic, and though that we have a healthy community, it does not mean we're not broken. In fact, us recognizing our vulnerability, our transparency, our brokenness, our spiritual depravity actually allows us to be healthy. When we don't recognize those things and we think that we have it together or we think we need to have it together, what happens is we don't embrace the love that Christ has shed upon us. In fact, we're tempted to hate ourselves. How much more could we love one another? And if the body of Christ has friction and has tension within itself. How are we to love those that are outside our walls? We have to love one another in order for those that do not know Jesus to experience that love because what we become from what we see in John 13, 34-35 is a visible proclamation of the gospel. And what we begin to say through our interactions is that we love to be reconciled. We love to be restored. I love to do marriages. I did a marriage, a a wedding a couple weeks ago. I love to go through the premarital counseling phase. I I, I enjoy just kind of walking with a couple. Because what happens is, through me walking with a couple, I'm actually counseling myself. I begin to learn about, Mike, you may not be doing what you're actually telling them about their marriage. Right? But, what I, when me is being trained at second and doing weddings, it's, it's very intentional and I enjoy it. So when I come, and uh, I arrive at the, the wedding, uh, what I do is I try to get all the attention of those that are participating in the wedding. And I let them know, listen, this is a called worship service, not a stated worship service. Because what a call worship service is, is that this particular couple is calling you to one another, calling you to a worship service on a particular day at a particular time to stand with them in unity to see what God is doing amongst them. A stated worship service is what we do every Sunday. We go to a stated worship service at a particular church. And so, why is a Christian wedding important? Because they want to have a Christian marriage. Well, what does that mean? The presence of God is there. And so, everything that we do. We are doing it as an act of worship. The vows that we take, the vows that we see them take, that they're interacting with, are not mere vows, are not mere words, but yet they are promises made for the presence of God. And so what happens is, when we're standing there and we're listening to the songs, or when we're singing the hymns, or when we're listening to every prayer, or whatever is going on, our attention is not drawn to the particular couple. Our attention is drawn because God is there. And when His presence is there, what happens is we begin to enter into a powerful moment to where God begins to draw and knit the hearts of individuals together. And the attention is not on the ring. The attention is not on the flower girl. It's not on the tuxedo. It's not on the dress. But it is on the beloved God, the God, our Father, who has called us into Him. When we take our congregational vows, we're committing to a body. Because what we say and what we commit to Is to love each other Not when we have some problems to leave Or not when we are not feeling As if the church is going in the right direction That I'm going to find another one Because yes, we can live in a society Where it's very consumeristic And where we can choose whatever place we want to be Because it has whatever we want to have It reminds me of that YouTube video, Church Hunters Some of y'all may have seen that But what happens is this When we take our vows before God We are committing Our lives to God and we're committing our lives to one another. If we then cherish that, much like a marital relationship, we understand how we ought to be loyal to each other. The infidelity will allow us to backbite, will allow us to talk bad about others and allow us to tear down people. But the love of God allows us to keep our fidelity. So the message is not changed. The message will not change. But also, not only must we know God's message, in verses 16 through 18, we must know God's sacrifice. Many in the Jewish culture, many people would say, in the Jew- Jewish culture, they went to great lengths to care for the poor. It was evident through Deuteronomy 15:7 through 8. It reads as this, it says, if, you, if among you, one of your brothers all be, should become poor... In any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you should not harden your hearts or shut your hands against your poor brothers, but you shall open your hands to him and lend him sufficient for him, for his need, whatever it may be. So John is now reprimanded. He is criticizing this community because they may have been ignoring the poor and the disenfranchised. Why would they do so? John gets to that. Plus, he also gets to the fact that we can see the contrast. What does he paint the picture of? Cain being the world, evil, Abel being righteousness. And we are the children of the living God, which if we love our brothers, then we have eternal life. Murderers, hatred, those that are haters, do not necessarily abide in Christ. So what is he saying? Look at verse 16. It is very evident. By this we know, another know, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then verse 17 says, But if anyone has world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How is it true and he goes on to say in verse 18 then he says uh, he he says this little children let us not love in word or in talk but in deed and in truth here's the point if Jesus says no greater love than man greater love than no one has than this that someone lay down his life for his friends sometimes we can think well if that's my son if that's my wife if that's my sibling or if it's my parent Oh, my very best friend, then I'm fine with doing that. But it's for a stranger, or a brother and sister, that I don't have a sincere relationship with. Right? We live in a society now. There's acquaintances and associates, and then those are people that are are really friends. And I I think that the Bible teaches us that, no, we are a family. And so, no matter if, some of you in here right now, I don't know. But if, it were for me to lay down my life, to give up my last for you, I should do it just as much as I would do it for my two-year-old son. Because it is not circumstantial. It is not only considered to a few people, but it is considered for God's body. Grace Groner, was a Wall Street Journal uh, article on her. And what she did was something that was courageous. She lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Lake Forest, Illinois. She bought her clothes at rummage sales. So she didn't go to Banana Republic. She didn't go to, you know, Dolce & Gabbana. She didn't go to uh, old days. She didn't go to any She went to rummage sales, okay? She did not own a car, nor did she uh, spend much money. She worked as a secretary at a pharmaceutical company. And in doing so, what happened was uh, she began to accumulate wealth. She died at the age of 100. But at the age of 100, she accumulated $7 million. Not seven hundred million. Not $700. Not $7,000. Not even $700,000. I would have been fine with $70,000. But $7 million. The question is, what did she do with that? Grace Broner gave a scholarship after she died. To the local college, Lake Forest Community College, to anybody that was going to that school, the entire seven million dollars. Now, when you think about this, you have to say, what, what did she, what did she give up? Yes, she gave up a lot. She could have afforded a house with four bedrooms, five baths, two, to a jacuzzi, and a pool in the back. She could have did that. She could have went on ahead and bought her the X, Xfinity Q, whatever, hundred. She could have went on ahead and got the Series 6 BMW. She could have wore designer bags. She could have had designer clothes. But what did she think about? Her selfless act, her sacrifice to low-income students and those that needed an opportunity for education was to give of the very thing that she accumulated, not to her own children or, or, or own family members, but to strangers. This is what Philippians 2 and 4 tells us, that brothers and sisters, we don't look to our own interests. Why? Because he says, have this same mind in you in verse 5 and through 6 through 11. He says, have this mind, that you should not, just like God, count your own life more than others. But what Jesus did, it wasn't just the humiliation on the cross, we miss it. It was the humiliation that he wrapped himself in human flesh. The gospel never gets old. It never gets old because it is the very thing that empowers us to live day to day. It is the very thing that shapes our worldview because brothers and sisters, we're not mere thinkers. We're not mere believers. I think what the text is telling us and James K.A. Smith, who was a theologian, had, had kind of talked about this is that we're lovers. Our loving is intentional and it is habitual and it goes to a particular, it lands in a particular kingdom. And if we then are lovers, brothers and sisters, we look not to our own motivations. We don't move, we don't give because we want to gain something. We give to lose something. That is the right perspective. That is the right doctrine. And that is the right practice. And so when we see what Jesus did was that though that he was rich, the Bible says that he became poor for our sake. That we might be rich through his poverty so I know I had I was an EBT brother in fact I was a food stamp family at one point in time we weren't in the church when I was young but I understand that some of us may be in that place that where our EBT card with electric, uh, electronic benefit transfer card may it may run out of money if you see a brother in need and they need groceries it is your job to step up Because the picture was not that he's painting is not it's a wealthy individual that is helping. It's people that have the ability to do so. If you have two dollars and they only have a penny, give it. If, if you are able to help a brother and sister through relationship issues, are you able to give someone a, a hot bed, a, a warm bed to lay in, or a hot meal, or if you're able, this is in the body. I'm not talking about people that we just, we see on the outside. This is the body of Christ. If we can do this here, then we will be able to do it for those that don't even know Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to love the people that are so close to you. And this is what John is calling us to. That we don't serve out of our own capacity, but we serve out of what Jesus has done for us and how He's loved us. Our third point, we must know God's truth in verses 19 through 24. Westcott, a theologian said this, the fruit of love is confidence. The fruit of love is confidence. It gives a good, this statement gives a good picture of these next couple of verses. The reason being is it is This is what John is telling his readers because we can see a connection between deeds in truth And then we can see the connection what he's saying that you belong to truth He's giving his readers the assurance that they are connected to God because he is truth The very embodiment of truth And so doing so look at what he says in verse 20 He says this He says for whenever your heart condemns us, Whenever our hearts condemn us so we are connected to truth, we know truth, it lives in us, but then when our hearts condemn us, when they convict us, when they try to convince us of the lies, look at John 8, 40, 44, where who is the devil? He is the father of lies the one that the truth is not in him and he has no parts of the truth but we abide in the truth and the truth abides in us therefore what John is telling us when your heart tries to condemn you who is greater than that it is the very truth that is greater than that he is greater than whatever lies that they tell you I know many of us in a community have self esteem issues we compare each other to one another we look at those that have means and we want to be like them we say why wasn't my life that way why didn't I have those advantages And what I believe our text is saying to us is that though that you may not have those advantages, though that you may not have those relationships, though that you may not have grown up with a wealthy family, you have God. So you are not just anybody. As Richard said previously, you're created in the image and the likeness of God. And so you have dignity, you have worth, and you have value. And we'll talk about this in verses 1 through 6. But there are some religious organizations that will try to grab you by bad doctrine to say this will give you worth. This will give you value. This will give you dignity. Because the system may have broken you down and the lies of that nothing apart from God can give you that. So what he is saying is you belong to him. And then he goes on to say, because of his omnipotence, because of his greatness, because of his all-knowing power, you have assurance that you can never be plucked from his hand and so the confidence, when you look at Hebrews 4 the confidence that you are able to enter the throne room boldly, that you can go before God, what are you saying in the throne room when I say you are able to walk, wake up in the morning and fall to your knees and pray before a holy God because he is right there before you what happens there is, you change the perspective from waking up in the morning and it being about what you're going to eat next, or waking up in the morning and thinking about the stresses that you have, or thinking about the lesser that you may be, or thinking about what you're comparing yourself to, what it you're affirmed by the truth that you have and you have confidence through that. Our confidence doesn't come through accomplishments. Our confidence doesn't come through how much money we have. Our confidence doesn't come for how much good we do. Our confidence comes from who we know. Once we understand who we are, whose we are, we'll know who we are. And this is what He is getting to. This is why he says in the last verse. Whoever keeps this commandment. That is to love one another. Kind of going right back to what he was making the point. In verse 11. Whoever keeps this commandment abides in God. And God in him. And by this we, here it is, know that he abides in us. By the spirit whom he has given us. You know, I have a love and hate relationship with roller coasters. And the reason being is... You know, it's not that I'm afraid of roller coasters. <laughs> Please. You know, they just go fast sometimes. So not like the kiddie rides. But my wife loves roller coasters. And so we must have got on a ride one time. And, uh, you know, I was abiding. I was abiding. I was holding on to my wife. Okay? Because the reason is I was trying to protect her. See, y'all thought I was scared. So I'm trying to get my mind ready on the roller coaster, and what I do is I go through this phase. I'm like, Lord, why am I doing this? Why am I even on the roller coaster? My stomach gonna start hurting. I'm gonna scream. Hey, is it people gonna talk about me? Is it, why am I on this roller coaster, huh? Then I heard a clink, 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 and tick, 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 tick. I'm like, Look, can y'all stop the roller? I don't want to do it no more. I don't want to do it, Lord, no. And so we hit the first drop. And I'm, ah! you know, you can't scream. Yeah! And I'm holding on to my wife, right? I'm screaming my head, in my lap. And I'm just, ah! she's like, open your eyes. You can see the video. Of me holding my head down, just holding on to her. And her hands up and I like this. And she's screaming. I'm just like, I'm abiding though, y'all. I'm abiding. I'm protecting her. Every dip, I'm holding. I'm screaming. Every incline, I'm holding. I'm screaming. But listen, it reminds me of my relationship with God. When my finances are tight When my relationships are rocky When I begin to have some self-esteem issues When I am not assured I'm not certain about where I'm going in life and Things of that nature What happens is I begin not to cling on What, I, what resources I have Or the next person that I need to call I fall to my knees I fall to my knees because I know that He is an ever-present help Psalm 46 In the time of need and that when I know that I don't have anything to give, He is the one that I need to abide in because He is my strength. This gets to our next point when we go to uh, 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 the, the fourth point. We must know God's Spirit. The reason we need to know his spirit is because there are issues, there are concerns in life, and there are even doctrines in society, false teachings in our society, esoteric knowledge, and Gnosticism in which they particularly experience today. in that time will come against what we believe. And so the very rocky moments can be challenged by things that are enticing. When our ears are itching, things sound better than what it is hard to go through. So when the roller coaster goes up, what happens is we say stop in life. But I think what our text is telling us, and what John is telling us, when we look, he says, "Beloved, do not believe in verse four in chapter four, verse one. Do not believe in every spirit, but test the spirits with, whether, with to see whether they are from God." That same from goes to the fact that we who we know it's connected. That they are from God. And look what he says in verse 2. By this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confessed Jesus Christ, has come from the flesh. Remember, Richard just prayed that every knee will bow. Not some knees. Not a few knees. Not just your knees. Oh, but there was one day when the Great One will come, the Almighty. And everyone will fall to their knees. Because that is truth He is truth And he is the one that resides in us And so therefore We know that those that do not confess that They are of the spirit of the Antichrist is what he is saying When we hear doctrines that are not of the body When we hear things that come against And I'm not just talking about mere theological points Where I'm an Arminian or I'm, a, I'm reformed Or I'm in this camp My eschatology is uh, I'm pre-meal Or I'm post-meal And I'm not talking about those things I'm talking about the fact of the matter When we see even in our urban community these theologies that are being advanced upon people that is quote-unquote knowledge and people are enticed by it, they're falling by the wayside. But as we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus and lay everything aside, what happens is we can test the spirits by the spirit. Because he's given us truth. And we know this. And so we see in verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God's, listens to us whoever is not from God does not listen to us by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error and so there's no need for me to extrapolate on this much more but we understand that that spirit of truth is in God and that we ought to practice it rightly I know many of us have talked about the issues of the past and how there was much right doctrine in some denominations but not much right practice in other denominations. And we understand that when we see that we have to call it out in our body if someone has right doctrine but not right practice then we have to be able to inform them of how they can walk in step with right doctrine and right practice and in the body of Christ believing in right truth. Here it is. You may have been wondering all this time, like I told you, I didn't know those individuals, right? I didn't know Beyonce. She did compliment me, nor did I know anybody else. But there is somebody that I do know, and we all know, and his name is Jesus. And he is greater than anyone and gives us confidence, full confidence. And here, the hymn writer moves us because what happens is we see how deep the Father's love is for us. That there is nothing that goes beyond his measures. Because it is vast beyond all measures. So the question is, do you understand that his love abolishes? It demolishes barriers. It washes away sin. It heals broken hearts. It comforts those that are in need. It allows us to forgive and be forgiven. It allows us to overlook the shortcomings of others. It is this love that we have true liberty. One question. Do you know him? Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much because you are a God that continues to show your love and grace. Your tender mercies. And Father, as you do, you help us, Lord, to love you. Even when we look at the table, it is not a table to divide us. But it's the table that we come loving one another. Because you showed, expressed through the bread and through the cup, how much you love for us. So I pray that we lay down our lives, Lord, that we hear your message, that we believe your truth, that we continue to live in your spirit. For it is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.